what a harlequin is? A harlequin's role is to serve. It's nothing without a master. Welcome to the DC Film Squadcast. This is a DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yeah, we're all big fans of what DC Comics are doing on the big and small screen, so we want to make sure we talk all about it. So thanks for joining us tonight. Let's get started. My name is Tim. And I'm Scott, and we are the Squadcast. Well, Tim, nice busy week going into a three-day weekend. Kind of nice. Three-day weekend? <laughs> Martin Luther King Day on on Monday for, for everyone in America. Yeah, I don't get that day off, unfortunately. Uh, well, you suck, so ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a government job because <laughs> most businesses don't take it off banks do yeah <laughs> governments and banks yep hey uh by the way you sound a lot better today i feel a lot better today yeah. um i you know i the best part was is that instead of having to go to like one of those dock in the boxes and pay that copay i already had a uh, annual physical scheduled so i just you know for the kill two birds with one stone i was like doc please help me out here he gave me something and within like two or three days i was better so it was like thank you nice nice is over with. I, I was uh, editing, you know, our Robocop 2 for a Patreon uh, oh, review God. and all that. And man, I was just like feeling bad for you the whole time. I was just like... <laughs> I was like, he sounds like crap. And not only that, he's he's sick. He's sick as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but it, it was just, uh, you, you just sounded terrible and I felt bad for you. Oh, I felt terrible. Yeah. It, I felt the way I sounded. So yes, thank you so much. You know, that is that is over with and um, and also survived this week of my wife and I starting a new um, eating plan. Oh. And so, yes, I've lost seven pounds since Sunday. Are you kidding me? Because I mean, like I've been, I've been cutting down on carbs and sugars this past week. And uh, and it's working for me too. Like so, I've lost I think six pounds. I think just yeah. this past week. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it, I I know this is going to like be like shocking to the public, but it's amazing that when you eat right and you eat the right combinations of foods, you get rid of unwanted fat. It's amazing how that works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so for me, like my biggest problem was like the the last like year and a half, and specifically the last like six months of last year, it was just like a super stressful time for me. So like I was just you know. Like my reaction when I'm at work and I'm stressed out, I will go get like I'll go get like this big Pepsi to drink, or I'll I'll get like a, a Reese's peanut butter cup, something like that. Like I will just eat something, you know, stuff that I don't normally kind of eat, you know, maybe a bag of chips, and it's like you stress eat, you yeah. stress eat, and and that's just just adds up, and and so between all that, you know, preparing for our product launch and all that, you know, which we finally did in October, getting all that put together, and then you know then you have like the 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 triple whammy of dinners at things. Thanksgiving and then and Christmas and, and then Christmas yeah my birthday and just like with all these like little celebrations and all that it's just like ugh, it was just piling on and I'm like okay I you know like the the end of the year is like it's always like okay now I got all that crap out of the way <laughs> I can kind of get back on track so I uh well for me because remember I was I had talked about earlier how over the summer I dropped 14 pounds because I started uh cycling but then work started back and you know and not only did work start back but I started at a new place and so 
so I had all that stress on a new schedule. It was just new. It was just new, 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 new. And and then the schedules and eating. And I of the 14 pounds I dropped over the summer, I ended up by the height of Christmas, I had gained about, oh, I'd say about 10 of it back. And so now I've, I, I'm have i down seven from Sunday. And it's it's nice. My wife and I did some, made some changes. She's trying to get in a, in a healthier place because of the pregnancy. And I'm just trying to get in a healthier place because I need to. I'm sick and tired of the doctors telling me, well, your BMI is a little high. Well, no, <laughs> no crap, Sherlock. Thanks. I appreciate that. You just tell them you're big boned, though. No, I don't. Okay. But it's just amazing when you, you eat the right portions at the right times and you drink a gallon of water a day. It's amazing what it does. But what is, okay, so I have a question. What does is, what is drinking the extra water do? Okay. Uh, one, uh, your body sends the same signal to you. Uh, basically, when your body's dehydrated and thirsty, you're getting the same feeling as if you're hungry. So the first thing is that when you feel hungry between meals, drink water because your body might actually be thirsty and not hungry. Okay. That's one That's one thing. Two, water uh, makes your skin more elastic, uh, flushes fats and waste out of your body faster. Like y- your body, because your body's made up of so much water, it actually needs water to help it do its job. And so fat burning, calorie burning, waste processing, just general body health um, is fed by water. So if you're just drinking that much water, you not only are you feeding your body with what you need, you're also flushing more stuff out of you, which helps uh, burn the calories. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I never, I just like never knew exactly a t- detail. I mean, I, I, I drank plenty of water, but like I, I didn't really know how that was tied to like, say weight loss. So. Right. Well, between that and the fact that sometimes you need to be drinking instead of eating and that helps too. So, you know, what they, what my plan tells you is that every time you feel hungry, down an entire 16 ounce bottle of water. Okay. And then, then the next time you're hungry, drink another, basically keep drinking water until you actually get to a meal time. Okay. Yeah. My, the biggest thing I'm missing right now is my, my Grand Marnier. (laughs) That's like, that's the problem. I'm just like, like tonight I was like, uh, you know, I, 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 I would just open up the cabinet and I just see it staring at me. It's just like taunting me. And I'm just like, because I'm like staying off of that, you know, just cause it's, you know, all the sugars in it, all the sugars, yeah, all the calories, all the calories. And I'm just trying to stay off that for like a couple of weeks here. And it was just, it, I'm telling you, Scott, it was, it was, it was taunting me. It was, it was making fun of me, just staring at me. You could tell I'm, I'm like craving it right now. Oh, no, trust me. <laughs> Friday, I, when I picked my kids up uh, from school and I got them, I got them McDonald's while I went home to fix myself <laughs> something nice and healthy. And I smelled those fries and I was just like, <laughs> you little, you little monsters. <sighs> well, that's the worst part when you're taking care of kids. Cause you like, you, you know, you uh, like, like Grayson had uh, a friend coming over today. And so of course you're, you know, you're, you're making fries and you're making that kind of like little stuff that they can snack on. There's chips sitting out there. It was hard not to sit there and grab at the chips. Oh yeah, the the the, the tortino pizza rolls, and oh, yeah. the corn dogs. Uh. <laughs> You're just like a now. Oh, anyway, well, I, I think that's it. Welcome to de- welcome to to healthy living Squadcast. Thank you for joining <laughs> us today. Uh, well, we haven't had too many of these episodes in the four years, have we? No, we have not. Actually, <laughs> no, we have not. No. Well, you know what? Uh, this is a great time to remind everyone that we are members of the Squadcast Media Network. That does include DC Comics Squadcast with Chris and Jordan, uh, Fans Without Borders with Brent and Ray, Marvel Squadcast with Brent and Brock, and a special time to mention DC TV Squadcast, which just dropped their first episode 
back from the hiatus, which was something special, uh, we were able to arrange an interview with Jefferson Friedman, the composer for the DC Universe Harley Quinn animated series. And so if you go and check the feed right now, Ray has a wonderful, about almost 30-minute conversation with Jefferson Friedman. I have listened to it. It is a great interview. Uh, we also got clearance from Warner Brothers to uh, play uh, three pieces of music. So all the music heard in the episode is from the Holly Quinn animated series. Author- authorized use of music in the <laughs> podcast. So uh, I would definitely suggest everyone go to DC TV Squadcast and check that episode out. And Brent, Ray, and I have recorded our final roundup of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. Anything happened this past week? <laughs> A few things. <laughs> Two things. We'll talk about it. Uh, we'll major, talk about major it. spoiler warning. Yes. But I, I will put a link to Ray's interview with uh with Jefferson Friedman into our show notes. So we would encourage you to go check it out. Absolutely. And then of course we wanted to take an opportunity to thank everyone who supports us over on Patreon, uh at patreon.com slash squadcast media. Uh all the all the exclusive content, uh, you know, squadcast movies, fans of the borders plus. Uh this past week I know uh Chris finished up uh his issue by issue of the Walmart uh, DC 100 page Giants that finished up this week. Uh, I- anything else dropped this week? Well, Robocop 2. Robocop 2 dropped this week. Yeah. So, yeah. So we've got that. And also, just want to mention for Squadcast Movies, our next episode is Spider Man 2, Tobey Maguire. Yes, absolutely. We actually talk about that a little bit on the TC TV because I went ahead and jumped to the next episode. I was thinking what the next retro episode was going to be because we talked about that last week off air. Yeah. So if you guys are able to support us, you know, please uh, reach out to patreon.com slash squadcast media we appreciate all the support you guys can give us you know even if you if you're not able to support ongoing uh we certainly understand that but like we've got like over 300 pieces of content in there you know if you can support for like one month jump in for a month listen to the content and then if if you have to drop out that's fine go ahead and do it we have friends who do that <laughs> like <laughs> that's how streaming services work exactly yeah, so all right so tim uh joker's getting all the nominations <laughs> every one of them almost <laughs> almost uh well before we get into uh, the Oscars, we will mention that they they landed 11 BAFTA nominations, which, of course, is the British uh, Academy of Film and Television. And then at the Critic Choice Awards, uh, Joaquin won Best Actor and Hilder won Best Score. So very much mirroring the wins at uh, the Golden Globes the week before. Yeah. So that was uh, that was kind of like the nice, um, you know, the, the prologue of what was to come. And then sure enough, I mean, we got, I remember as at work and I saw the announcement of like what the Oscar nominations were and I, I just couldn't believe it. Joker got 11. Like I, w- I was expecting to get maybe six or seven. I wasn't expecting 11. But to be the number one nominated film of the year? Of the entire year. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just a quick rundown. Those nominations are Best Picture, Best Actor for Joaquin Phoenix, Best Direction for Todd Phillips, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Film Editing, Best Cinematography, Best Costume Design, Best Sound Mixing, Best Sound Editing, best score and best makeup and hairstyling yeah uh now i'm gonna go ahead and say that i know for certain there are definitely awards that i personally think other movies are gonna win because i think other movies should win them and there are other categories that i would say i would like joker to win but dang is it got some competition yes (laughs) i mean some of these uh and we'll we'll go through a few of these in particular but like i I think some of these is like i i don't think joker has a chance but as Scott and I were talking before we started airing here, we think the best shot that Joker has for any Oscar uh, is going to be for Best Actor.
Oscar for Walking Phoenix. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then I would fo- I would follow that right up with best score for Hilder, Good and Daughter. Yes. So I think the, those are the, because here are, here are the other nominees for best actor. You got Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. You got Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You got Adam Driver for Marriage Story, and then you have Jonathan Price for The Two Popes. Yeah. I really do think in that. Now, granted, uh, I've only seen two of those five nominees. I've only seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Joker, uh, but Two Popes is Netflix. I can manage that. And Marriage Story is Netflix. So, I mean, very low barrier to entry <laughs> to help me yeah. get caught up with that. But of those, I feel like Joaquin, I feel like the Golden Globes and the critics and all that, I think that's just signaling Joaquin's walking away with the Best Actor Oscar. It, it certainly feels like it. Now, let's go back to, or should we talk about, should we talk about score? Because those are the two were, were like, oh yeah, like we think it's got to, you know, Joaquin we think is walking away with it. Score-wise, you've got Hilda for Joker, you've got Alexander Desplat for uh, Little Women, Randy Newman for Marriage Story, Thomas Newman for 1917, and John Williams for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Um, 1917, um, I don't see score being a thing for it. Uh, nothing about the score stood out to me for 1917. Uh, Little Women, love that score. But I feel like Joker's going to win out, even though I love the Little Women score. Like I said, haven't seen Marriage Story, and I just don't see John Williams. I mean, yes, you nominate John Williams, but I don't see John Williams winning for Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I mean, looking at these, I haven't, you know, seen all these films, but I've certainly heard pieces of the score for those films. My take is, like, you know, Hilder's score for Joker is so incredibly unique and kind of groundbreaking in a lot of ways. I mean, it's if, if, if you've seen Chernobyl, which I know... Scott, you haven't seen it yet, but I mean, it's very much similar to the type of uh, you know score that that we got from her in in that miniseries on HBO. But I'm gonna tell you right now, like this, it just creates and occupies such a unique uh, space in in the score category. It just feels like you know, it feels like it's something special, and and that's how I've always felt, you know, when I've heard you know her score in the film, and and I just I just have this feeling that she you know she is in fact gonna be able to pull it out. Yeah. So so that so. so those are our two like we we're we're doing vegas <laughs> like we're we we're like yeah we're, we're pretty certain about that yeah so let's go back so where do you want to start for the other like major awards that we're like Ugh, this one there there's some horse races to deal with i mean let's talk about best picture okay yeah so nine total nominees you've got joker ford versus ferrari the irishman jojo rabbit marriage story little women 1917 once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Parasite. Now, personally, I have seen all but three of these nominees. So I've seen three of them. I've seen six of the nine with two of them I plan to catch before the ceremony. So I I've, I have no interest in Jojo Rabbit whatsoever. Just the trailer did not speak to me. Uh, I definitely want to catch Marriage Story on Netflix and Parasite's going to be available to rent in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So I'll, I'll catch that on a rental. The rest of them, I, I saw all of them in theaters, except for, of course, The Irishman, which I saw on Netflix. Okay. Yeah, and I've seen less than half of these. Uh, so I, 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 you know, just going based on how I kind of see these things being split up, I almost feel like, you know, especially with the buzz that we're hearing with 1917. Uh, and, and it's and it's worth the buzz. I mean, it's I've seen it. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like that's the one that's going to kind of stand out. 
out for just an overall achievement, uh, more than the rest of these. And uh, as much as I would love Joker to win, I just I, I just don't know if it's going to be able to eke it out. But you know, the other thing with that too is like you also have this weird thing where like you could see you could see Joker getting its block of voters, and then you could see a lot of divided groups amongst the rest of these films. So I, it's it's anyone's game. I honestly, you know, I mean, I think there's a few you could probably check off this list, but like I I think there's you could there's probably about five or six films on here that you can argue like nobody can really predict wh- which way this is going to go yeah um because like i said i have seen six of the six of the nine and of the six that i've seen i've enjoyed all of them some i've enjoyed more than others uh, but the one i really need to get to is parasite that's that's the that's the wild card in there that is getting a ton of buzz it's one of those movies that's nominated in both foreign film and best picture and so you know now that one might play out where they'll give it best foreign film so then they don't have to worry about voting for it in best picture uh but then i I really feel like 1917 is going to be the like when i think of how the academy's going to go uh i feel like it's really probably going to be kind of like a joker versus 1917 yeah so then it just really comes down to is like which of those two films loses out votes to you know say little women or parasite ford versus ferrari you know the irishman you know that's that's really where the story is going to be in my in my view based on you know based on the, the reviews that I've heard about these different films yeah absolutely okay so then uh, director ah. we got Martin Scorsese for The Irishman Todd Phillips for Joker Sam Mendes for 1917 Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Bong Joon-ho for Parasite now of these I've seen four of the five one okay. Parasite being the only one I haven't seen so out of those four what's your thought in terms of direction right in terms of direction uh, definitely it's a it's a head to head between Todd Phillips and Sam Mendes. Once again, I feel like Joker in 1917, unless the Academy goes where, I mean, those are the two I see. Uh, and I, and once again, and this is, this is without me seeing Parasite, so I'm not, I, I'm not crapping on Parasite. I'm just saying I have no frame of reference. I, once again, lots of buzz for Parasite. So, but in this case, man, when you look at it from a technical aspect, I feel like Sam Mendes pulls this one off. And this is not me saying what I want to happen. This is what I'm saying, what I predict is going to happen. Yeah, I think this is one where it was a little bit of a surprise that I think Todd Phillips actually got a nod here. It just seemed like he just wasn't going to make the cut. Like, I, I think if he, you know, by him making his list, he, you know, he may have been number four, you know, five. Like, it it, it just felt like, you know, he just, it was just not going to be, be able to get beyond that line. But trying to think about what I thought of his direction in the film, especially listening to some of these behind the scenes things that we've, you know, heard with the cinematographer and, and uh, like some of the other stories we've gotten about, like some of the decisions that he made while filming. Uh, you know, he needs to be given a lot of credit for some of that stuff because, you know, like learning about like the decision they made uh, when they were trying to figure out that bathroom scene in Joker. I mean, they literally had a different plan going in and they, it was just, you know, Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix that were inside that little bathroom set, just the two of them for like an hour trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, he brought up the idea, like, I've got this score from Hilder that I'd like you to listen to. And he had decided to play it and they both, you know, just created this magical scene where uh, just a whole new direction um, and really a, a major turning point of that film just happened because of his willingness to try to, you know, see if they could go somewhere else with where, what their plans were. So there's like that one and and then some of the choices that they made to do some uh, like uh, additional fo- photography during principal photography just because like they knew that, you know, Joaquin Phoenix being at that emaciated state, like there's no way they can come back like nine months later and ask him to, you know, to lose that weight again to do some some additional 
dimensional scenes and and they came up with that that uh, kitchen refrigerator scene as one of those and so so I think I think there's a lot of things you know that he should get credit for I don't know if it's enough to get him to get the nod but it's going to be an interesting one yeah and then the other uh, the only other major one to talk about well we got a couple more we, we have adapted screenplay which I've seen three of the five we've got the Irishman Jojo Rabbit Joker Little Women and the Two Popes uh, this one I've oh god Little Women what 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 Greta Gerwig did in that adaptation was pretty special so I really feel like it's a for for my personal taste it's a Joker versus Little Women uh, for me uh, the, once again not having seen Jojo Rabbit or having seen the Two Popes you any thoughts from you on that uh, I have you know I I can't really comment too much on these but like I do feel like you know I mean Joker is a, to- a tale that's been told several times you know so at least to some degree I I just don't know if it's going to quite you know be able to get the um, the amount of votes that it's gonna it would need, especially with how much that we've heard that was improvised. Right, it's like how much <laughs> how much credit can you actually give to the yeah. actual screenplay? And so, if you take it from that perspective, then I mean, my vote would go to Little Women. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it just this feels like a Little Women win to me. You know, that's that said, you know, since I haven't seen him, but the 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 one that I think is going to be quite a bit more clear cut in in my guess is the cinematography category. Yeah, I I. I I I think I, I I'm willing to lay down money. Who's going to win this one? <laughs> I mean, you, you, this feels like, and based on things that I've seen from 1917, it just feels like it's Roger Deakins to lose. <laughs> Roger Deakins, no, this is Roger Deakins' Oscar. I'm sorry, they they did things in that movie that were just incredible. I mean, just visually. So yeah, it's Roger Deakins' Oscar to lose, in my opinion, for 1917. Yeah, I don't know. So we'll see. It's pretty exciting, though. I, I mean, I can't believe it. it's like the most I think nominations ever. Uh, Oscar nominations ever for a comic book related film? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that counts, like Dick Tracy. I think I think there was something with Dick. It does. It does count that because okay. they, they count that in that as well. Yeah, I'll bet eleven is just yeah crazy. And because so I also think that I also think that when you look at some of those below the line Oscars, a lot of those sound mixing and sound editing type of Oscars, I see that going to something like 1917 or you know those kind of things. Um, I hope it wins best makeup and hair. I I think that's definitely another another Oscar that it it most definitely uh deserves so yeah and i don't know i um is uh little women up for that one as well uh you know that's a good question so i'm going to double check it because that is let's see yeah it is not makeup and hair is bombshell joker judy maleficent in 1917 okay so that that one could have a chance that one could have a chance i almost think that that would be interesting one for bombshell because dear goodness did they make those actresses did they have to make Shirley their own and yeah and nicole kimmon look like who they're playing yeah that that one i think that one might get it that one might get it you know you're right uh then when i'm looking at sound editing and sound mixing ooh, i'm gonna i'm gonna retract my statement when it comes to that uh if it's not 1917 ford versus ferrari sure yeah yes yeah yes <laughs> that's okay that that's gonna be my personal choice is ford versus ferrari for those uh well let me go over this here just to kind of give you an idea we talked about joker got 11 nominations the next close was The Irishman with 10, then 1917 with 10, and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood got 10. That surprises me, actually. Uh, Jojo Rabbit got 6, Little Women 6, Marriage Story 6, and Parasite 6. Uh, Ford versus Ferrari got 4, and then we're further down the list, yeah. We can do like 3s. And- yeah, I think uh, Bombshell got 3, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker got 3, I think like, Endgame got 1. Yeah. So This is the interesting thing to me. Not 
nominations by studio, Netflix has the most <laughs> nominations this year. Yeah. That is kind of telling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they had two major films that got a lot of accolades. I mean, that racks up pretty quick. Yeah, well, and they've got three pictures that are in the big category. I mean, because you got Irishman, Two Popes, and Marriage Story. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. But then Sony beating out Walt Disney and Warner Brothers. I know. Well, Sony's got, uh, what, they got 1917, and what else is a Sony movie? Well, um... Is Once Upon Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think, count? Does that count as a Sony movie? I don't know if it is or not, but it's got 10. That would add 20. That would be 20. I think that's... I'm, I'm going to double check that, because I remember when I bought it, it was the first Quentin Tarantino movie I ever got that was a Movies Anywhere movie. Okay. I don't know, because when I look in iTunes, it says the studio is some independent studio, so I don't know who has, like, distribution. Right, so... So to kind of finish it up, Walt Disney's got 16 different nominations, Warner Brothers 12, Universal 11, so... This is this this is actually a year that has me interested in the Oscars. You know, it, especially since it's a year that when you look at the nominations, it's like, wow, I have actually legitimately seen most of the movies nominated instead of it being one of those years where I'm spending the next couple of weeks going to the Red Box and renting a whole <laughs> bunch of them because I didn't bother to watch these movies. Yeah. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix made a statement with his nomination. He says, I feel honored and humbled to have been nominated by my fellow actors. The Academy's encouragement helped ignite and sustain my career, and I'm incredibly grateful grateful for that support. I'd like to also congratulate my fellow nominees for being recognized for their inspiring performances that have enriched our, our art form. Sounds like his his uh his acceptance speech. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's pretty much uh that's standard fare. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, Todd Phillips had a statement that got put out where he said Joker began as an idea, an experiment really. Could we take an indie approach to a studio film by inverting it into a character study to reflect the world around us? Explore what we're seeing and feeling society from the lack of empathy to the effects of the absence of love. I am deeply honored by the overwhelming recognition of the Academy this morning, and I want to thank the genius that is Joaquin Phoenix and all my incredible collaborators. We are beyond humbled that our peers in the filmmaking community have embraced the film and its message. Yeah, nice. All right, well, I mean, that's enough talking about a film that came out last year. (laughs) I think we should talk about a film that's coming out like in two weeks. Two weeks! Yeah. All right, Birds of Prey. Getting lots of of different things hitting the media right now. Lots of um, kind of underground marketing it's happening and also we're at this point where we're getting lots of uh articles in magazines and all that one of them was a sci-fi now feature about the film it's pretty lengthy there's actually quite a bit that was uh said in it and kind of revealed and i want to pull out a few bullet points from that special the first thing is that was something i hadn't heard is the whole film occurs over a 24-hour period so that's that i think that's like the present day action the present day aspect yes because obviously there's gonna be a bunch of flashbacks but yeah so that over happens over a period of a day. Well, I think that also might contribute to the suggested runtime being shorter because it's like, nope, it's going to move pretty quickly because it's one day. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to move quickly. But also kind of explains like, you know... uh, why they were willing to work with Harley, I think, because like they all got thrust into this situation and it's not like they had a chance to like, you know, debate it, whether or not they're going to work with her over, you know, a few days, like whatever this event is that brings all these people together, it happens quickly. So Rosie Perez, who is playing Renee Montoya, she revealed that when she was like reading into the comics and doing her research, she was kind of like taken aback by like how almost every single picture of Renee Montoya in the comics, she just looked mad, <laughs> which is true. <laughs> Which well, is it's true. true. Well, if you were a cop in Gotham, wouldn't you? <laughs> and, and I'm like, yeah, she's like spot on. 
fun. And so she said, you know, I'm going to try to channel that into my character and figure out, like, why is she so angry? And so that that was kind of a neat little piece of insight. Because she's a cop in Gotham? Yeah. <laughs> uh, talked a little bit about the different fighting styles. They specifically wanted to differentiate all the, the different Birds of Prey's characters uh, in this film. They said Harley, you know, she's like a gymnast, so the way she fights and moves is going to be like a gymnast. I uh, said, you know, Ren- Renee Montoya, of course, is just going to be like this little, you know, scrappy street fighter. And then they said, well, Huntress, I mean, she's been trained as a fighter. So, like, she's going to be, like, highly skilled with her, you know, the way she fights. Uh, they didn't mention anything about Black Canary, so I'll be curious to see, like, you know, if, if there was a particular style to her. I mean, we, we see some from the trailers, but I didn't really necessarily pick up anything distinct from that. They also said in the article that um, you're going to be seeing Huntress's evolution through the flashbacks. In fact, even in the article, and I don't know if this was from a comment made uh, during their uh, the set visitor, their discussions with some of the people in the production, but it says you're going to see a variety of costumes for Huntress, basically like an evolution. So I'm not entirely sure that the point about different costumes is was direct information or was assumption, but uh, they did make one particular point about it. They said that, you know, Huntress is never going to be in high heels and she's never going to have a costume where it's too tight to where she can't, you know, where she like restricts her movement. Right, where she can't actually fight. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so that's interesting. And this was a comment like, you know, we've been trying to figure out like how brutal is this film going to be? Because it's going to be rated R. It's going to be rated R. It's been described as a hard rated R. And in fact, uh, if you've seen some of the trailers, uh, you know that there's a scene where, you know, Roman Sionis has some people hanging upside down. And if you zoom in on a trailer and pause it at a certain point, uh, there's some bad stuff happening. <laughs> so like, uh, so you just don't really know like just how bad this film is going to be. Like none of us really know. But uh, there was a comment in here this uh, that says that violence in the film will not be especially shocking or brutal. That's a subjective statement. So we'll see what that actually translates that into. That was based on some information they got. So we'll see. You know, I mean, that could also be just a little bit of cover, you know, saying don't be scared to go see our film. And then there were some comments about Rosie Perez's character, Renee Montoya, in the film. They said that in their discussions with Rosie, that she looks forward to a more female-led films like this one, where rather than a film having only one main female character who has to carry the responsibility of standing in for her entire gender, the film can show a variety of realistic women where they are, quote, fabulously flawed, just like men, <laughs> which I, th- I kind of love that quote. I kind of want to make that the title for the episode. So no, but I do I do like that because it is true because like in so many films, you know, in the past, like you, you, you really have one strong female character kind of representing all females, all females. And you have like several different male characters and and they can have all their flaws and and it, it doesn't really matter. So, th- I mean, it was it's kind of a neat little point that she's making here. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, which is kind of funny because there was some interesting stuff that came out of uh, Journey Small at Bell's interview with Marie Claire, which I think is kind of part of that interesting targeted marketing that we, you're going to have a... Right. I mean, Marie Claire is most definitely a, a female targeted magazine. Uh, so they had some... She had some good quotes and I, and I pulled some of them out. Like they asked her what it was like training for the role and Journey said that, um, quote, I'm that obsessive actor who's like, throw me in, coach, I can do it. And, you know, talked about started training with the 8711's stunt team, which she described as one of the best stunt teams in the business. They said that they trained us in a nondescript warehouse in L.A. for five months. She was working out five days a week uh, with her trainer and then again with the stunt team. And she said, I was still nursing and coming off a mom bod. I lived in a constant state of pain. <laughs> oh, dear God. I, oh, poor. Mm. I mean, I've had two children. I mean, I've seen my wife go through having two children. You've seen your wife going through two children. Yeah. I can't imagine going through that, which is already a stressful 
lethal on the body and then doing this at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, give her a ton of credit for that. A- absolutely. Um, they asked her what the audition and casting process was like. And I thought this was this was like my favorite story from the interview, I think. Uh, she said that her manager mentioned the role to her, but the studio wasn't interested because she wasn't available because she was shooting Loveca- uh, Lovecraft Country for HBO, which is an upcoming horror drama that was co-created by Jordan Peele and Misha Green. And there was a direct conflict. And uh, the Misha Green asked Journey, hey, aren't they casting for Birds of Prey? And she was like, yeah, it really sucks. They won't even let me audition because I'm not going to be available. And the creator <laughs> of the show said, uh, bitch, go after it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, absolutely. That's fantastic. And so apparently they did a self-tape audition and sent it to Warner Brothers. And and this was thought I was in, that was funny. Journey said she knew Bur- uh, Black Canary from Injustice Two. <laughs> yeah, she actually used to play it with her husband. I which which one I love because when I when I played Injustice Two, Black Canary was like my go to character. Oh yeah, that <laughs> that Black Canary. Have you ever have you played Injustice Two Two Tim? Not that much. No. <laughs> Black Canary's a badass. Yeah, she's a great care fighter to have. <laughs> and they sent the tape in, and the studio responded very enthusiastically. And asked if she would come meet with Kathy Yan, and then that went well. And then she did a chemistry read with Margot Robbie, and that went well. And then she went in for a screen test, and she said that was a grueling day because they were mixing and matching all of the actresses auditioning for Black Canary into different pairings to see who had the best chemistry with the other actresses playing the other characters. And she said that she ended up reading this one scene like 30 times with all the different pairings. Mm, wow. Can you imagine us? I mean, just think of the life of an actor or an actress I mean you, you know for one you're you're sending these little audition tapes in or or you're you're part of like you know cattle call a, a or cattle, like a casting director is like going through like hundreds and hundreds of different potential actors or actresses for a role and then you finally get called in and then you know like you have to get over that hump you have to you have to get past like that big long list of people that they have because then they they narrow it down to like a small handful then you finally get to that but even at that point like you know your odds are still not necessarily great right you know amongst that group you know you're still like one of five or one of ten people because you might be great for the role with a certain actress but then if they choose the other actress for the other role then they're going to pick the actor or actress who worked well with that one yeah and that might not be you and it's not because you weren't great it was just because you just didn't connect with the other actor or actress for the role they wanted it is as someone who's gone through this it sucks yeah it sucks big time oh man it's tough yeah, I can't imagine. Like, <laughs> just and how excited they must be when they finally get the call that they got the role. I mean, you're seeing this thing. Like, she went through the scene over thirty different, you know, thirty different times. Like, just how many people was she like doing the scene with? So, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then uh, she dropped a little bit of knowledge about where Black Canary is as a character in Birds of Prey, and we're getting the reluctant hero who, not just reluctant hero, but because we are getting the metahuman version of Black Canary. We're dealing with a character who doesn't want her powers. Yeah. And and is struggling to embrace the fact that there's nothing, she has this. There's nothing she can do about it. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so I read through that article as well. And uh, something else I wanted to highlight from what you did. Uh, so this one I found kind of eye opening. Uh, the, you know, Marie Claire asked, you know, others expected Black Canary to be white like she is in the comic. How do you respond to them? <laughs> I mean, you put this question out there like, what is she going to possibly say? I like what she says. She goes, for so long, 
long, so many people have been shut out. There are so many of us who are hungry to see the world the way it actually looks in cinema. So she's she's like, no apologies. Well, nor should she. Nor, nor should she. Like, I love that. Like, you know, this is like, no, I'm not going to sit there and like, I'm not going to sit there and apologize for the fact that I'm not white because like, that's how she's depicted in this medium. Like, no, no, no. People want to see people that look like them. <laughs> that's basically it. So now, of course, Tim, we, we begin the time where we start getting the pointless early box office <laughs> projections where I we still report them. I don't know why, but we do, no matter how ridiculous I think it is, <laughs> yes. especially since tickets aren't even on sale yet. Uh, but right now, deadlines reporting as of sometime this week, a range of an opening weekend of 49 to 55 million, you know, with an average being about 52 million on February 7th. Uh, uh, with this being the only wide release of a film that weekend, so basically, Birds of Prey is going to get to own the weekend. Yeah, as the as a new as a new release. So here's the thing. So and it's and it's amazing to me how the tables have turned, Scott. We've been doing this long enough. They're sitting there now comparing it to Suicide Squad's opening, which was 100 and like almost 134 million for the opening weekend, and now saying, well, it's you know it's not going to you know it's going to it's going to fall way short of that. Do you remember how many people were talking about how bad Suicide Squad was going to do? Yes. <laughs> Yes, I do. Yes. And and it's and it's funny, like, I mean, it took it took quite a while for people to give Suicide Squad credit, you know, for just oh, some people still don't give Suicide Squad credit. No, they don't. I in fact I've read an article, I can't remember what it said. Like it talked about how uh like uh, a disappointing disappointing film or something because it and they cited the box ups. I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> that was like on what earth? Yeah, that was way above what people were expecting. For a for an unknown property. Yes. Nobody knew who Suicide Squad was other than the fans like that you know know the source material and uh this is going to be no different this one i have no idea you know this is a this is a giant wild card because i mean harley quinn does have a pretty big following oh i'll, I'll you want you want to know what was very telling for me just go into hot topics website they have a bunch right now oh oh oh, oh yes okay. i mean actually my box just arrived with all of my birds of prey funko pops but <laughs> just because i thought i was done and then they pulled me back in <laughs> why did i look i shouldn't have looked but i did and oh my god it, it, it's merchandising on the level that i remember when suicide squad came out the shirts and the outfits and they've got caution tape shirts and they've got i mean when you talk about the hot topic crowd this is ranging i mean we're talking about merchandising on a on a suicide squad level and you've got multiple female characters to play off of in birds of prey which goes back to what deadline's reporting here which is uh th- they report that that Birds of Prey is hot with the under 25 demo with young males followed by young females making it their first choice. Now, what they said was unaided awareness, which is basically those who mentioned Birds of Prey without the surveyors mentioning Birds of Prey said that young females, so this under 25 demo, are they are bringing Birds of Prey up without being prompted. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where it's going to be. <laughs> it's going to be that demographic. So, and we got some pictures like we've seen some of the Times Square advertising and oh I love this new image of Harley in the roller derby because once again that calls right back to that new 52 solo series that I really did enjoy by Palmiotti and Amanda Connor yeah and of course that matches uh that image that we had seen about like the taped on uh, ponytails ponytails yeah yeah uh did you watch the uh soundtrack trailer video I did I did actually and and if you haven't watched it it's fun it is fun I I I kind of outlined uh they highlight five songs in particular from the soundtrack uh so they've got um they've got saweetie 
Sweet and Galgzara. I don't know how to say that. Uh, it's fine. Ma- uh, Sway with me. Yeah. Megan the Stallion and Normani. Uh, Charlotte Lawrence, Doja Cat. Uh, Chris Rimmer's a big fan of Doja Cat. And then Halsey. So. Which is interesting because, you know, I mentioned before that the Diamonds music video was already available. Yeah. And if you download the album, you can already get Diamonds. I checked today and they just released jokes on you. Oh, did they? Okay. Right. So if you, so even if you do what I did, which was I just added it uh, using my Apple Music subscription, there's 15 tracks. And right now you can listen to Diamonds and Jokes on You. Okay. Uh, I actually, I kind of like that Diamond song. Like it's, it's got a nice little hook to it. This is going to be, um, this is going to be an interesting soundtrack. It is good. And I always thought it was interesting also in the trailer how they're like, from the studio that brought you Suicide Squad, the album, The Greatest Showman. Because <laughs> it's, yeah. it's Atlantic Records. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is a, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Now, one thing, okay, I'm going to see if you caught this, Scott. What is one thing in that little trailer that was, was appearing in some of the other little TV spots and trailers, but there was a certain sound that you can hear in this little promo trailer that you couldn't really hear in the other movie trailers? Uh, I don't think I, I... I only watched it once, so okay. I haven't examined it. What was it? The Canary Cry. Oh, wait a minute. I saw it. Yes, yes. yes. Now, yes, yes. Because you actually get the audio of that scene. You don't get it loud, but you definitely hear a little bit of it, whereas in the other trailers, like, you you really don't get it. At least the ones I've seen. Yeah. Well, no, because it's the, the soundtrack is playing over it. Yes, but I mean, yes, but with the soundtrack playing over it, you actually, they've got the audio from her Canary Cry up louder than it was in any of the movie trailers no, that, or TV yeah, spots. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, okay. So that um, that's like your the first time I, at least that I could actually hear it. Yeah. Well, me too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, moving on. We, we got some of these little bits of merchandise or like memorabilia that you're going to get in a theater. I never get these. I never get these. I never these. get them. E- I never get them either. I was going to ask you if you've seen these things. No, I never get these. Uh, what do you mean you never get them as in your theater doesn't get them or you just don't get them? No, my theater, like this isn't even an option. For okay, me. Like, me too. Uh, same thing. So like one of them is this little topper that apparently goes on to the soda, um, you know, cups. Yeah, it has a little figurine of Wonder Woman in the gold gold eagle armor. Yeah, so that's on top. So I was going to say like if, if we could actually get those, I would get it. But like I would get it. <laughs> My theater does not get these things. AMC, get on that. Yeah. I mean, seriously. <laughs> uh, Cinemark for me. So let's move on to some The Batman news. Which got a little interesting this week, I feel like. I, we got some information. Uh, quickly, just to mention, another person has been cast in an undisclosed role. Uh, Alex Ferns, who uh, won a BAFTA for his portrayal of the miners' leader, uh, Glukov uh, from Chernobyl. Man, I got to get to, I got to <laughs> get my butt down to watch Chernobyl. You need to watch that. Yeah. I, I no. He has been he has been signed up for a role that has yet to be disclosed. Yeah. So we have no idea who he's going to be playing. But uh, I mean, he was he was great in Chernobyl. I'm going to tell you this. There was that little part. That I, I just have to read off because I I was completely... <laughs> I, did, I did I ignored this for some reason. Like I didn't even it didn't even strike me. And then you highlight. I was like, oh oh wow. Yeah. This is kind of funny. So there's a scene, and uh, I mean, okay. So there's obviously a disaster in Chernobyl. Well, he's one of the characters that is running away from something at one point uh, and he's completely naked in the scene okay and this was a little quote from this article he apparently refused to be upstaged by his co-stars bigger Willie in the miners naked scene so when it came to the moment of stripping off he saw his nude pal swinging away and he banished him to the back of the shot <laughs> I just laughed. 
<laughs> oh, I was just laughing at that whole deal. <laughs> he's, he's probably like, no, 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 I'm going to take front and center on this one. <laughs> you go further back. <laughs> Oh, anyway, boys and their toys. I was I was so just amused by the the verbiage in the article. <laughs> well, it was it was a it was a Scottish newspaper. Yeah. So looking at used to. All right, <laughs> now we have heard officially reported that Glasgow is going to become Gotham City for uh, Matt Reeves the Batman, which I think is awesome because we're gonna get a completely different look. Yeah. For Gotham City, besides Chicago or Pittsburgh or a studio set, right. I mean, it's this is like, you know, so many of the, well, I mean, I guess that's your point, right? So many of the recent depictions of Gotham we've had have like just been much more, you know, conventional, modern feel. And you look at some of these buildings in Glasgow, I mean, it's definitely got this very gothic look and feel to it. So I think it's a great choice. I'm I'm really going to be excited. Now, the source that was reporting to the Daily Record in the UK said that Glasgow will be turned into Gotham City. And with the city's architecture, it's expected to look great in the new film. It will also be the first time for DC fans to see the new Batmobile so there'll be lots of them prepared to stand in the rain hoping they can spot it anyone who sees the Batmobile around town will probably look twice Yeah. so apparently we are just days away apparently they're like yep they're going to be shooting the Batmobile on the streets of Glasgow I can't wait anytime now now for those of you who want to see what the city looks like in a, in a recent Hollywood film it was actually used in uh, World War Z the film with Brad Pitt back in 2011 from 2011 yeah, so it was the post-apocalyptic scene where it's supposed to be Philadelphia. Well, and even more recent than that, um, even though the article gets the name of the movie wrong, uh, if you saw Hobbs and Shaw, uh, there were scenes in that film shot in Glasgow as well. Okay. So yeah. you can go and check out Hobbs and Shaw and see it if you want to know what Gotham City is going to look like. But I'm looking at some of the photos, and it's like, oh yeah, this is like gothic <laughs> Gotham City. <laughs> it I'm- is, yeah. You get some of these old, I don't know, this old church looks fantastic. Like, I, 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 I want to see that scene. Yeah, I do. And and I and I never made it to Glasgow when I was in Scotland back in 05. So just uh, this is this is going to have character oh. is what I'm going to say about this. Yeah. Gosh, you think we'll get a, a little like a, a crowd picture of our friend from that way? I don't know. I don't know, sir. Stu? 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 You're going to you're going to run up there like let's see let, let's Stu get in this film. I, I don't care how you do it, <laughs> just find a way to get in the background. <laughs> so. So Zoe Kravitz was on Ellen DeGeneres's uh YouTube channel and some comment uh, Tim pulled out some comments for us. Uh, how Zoe Kravitz mentioned how she's nervous, uh, nervous, how she's bowed to the Queen Michelle Pfeiffer at the Golden Globes. <laughs> uh, she, at the time that they were talking, she was flying out to London that night to start filming. She's had lots of costume fittings. It's been going well, and that she's been training very hard. It's very physical, and she says she ends up limping every day. <laughs> Good. We we want you. We want them working you that hard. And she looks. Fa- did you watch the interview at all? I did not. No, she looks fantastic. She's going to be a great Catwoman. And then Robert Pattinson was being interviewed by Empire Magazine, and he had a, a nice little quote where he said, I love the kind of history of the part. I love every iteration on, of how it's been played. It's a very, very special part, and I think it's been very carefully. I feel like everyone's really looked after the character and its history, and there's a lot of reverence for it. You can really feel it in the studio. You can't say no to it, and I really wanted to say yes. I think Matt Reeves has got a really good direction for it. I'm very kind of eager to get started on it. <laughs> He's kind of eager. Um, And I loved... Uh, I I love some of the little fun play that's going on online right now. Uh, composer uh, Michael Giacchino was having a little bit 
of fun. And he, he put out the suite and he says, okay, internet, as promised, here's a short preview of my Batman theme. Please do not share this with anyone. Of course, it's, <laughs> it's, it's staying alive played by kazoo. By a bunch of, by a kazoo orchestra. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Peter Sarsgaard, who we're still waiting to get confirmation of who he's playing in the movie, but he said that the cast is awesome, that it's different from other Batman movies to him just with the cast. He says there's something, he says it has an edge, that it's young. He, he compared it to a to a Pixies concert. Oh, that is, you had me at Pixies. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would speak so much to you, yeah. Tim. So he just talked about how there's just so much energy and it, he says it isn't specifically targeted to a young audience or an old audience. It He says it, it but has that power of chaos in it. Pixies, it's still one of my favorite um, uses of a song was in Fight Club. Pixies song at the end. Where is my mind? Yeah, yeah, I've been. It has been. It's been a while since I've seen Fight Club. I love Fight Club, but it's yeah. been a while. Oh, that one's good. So yeah, uh, anything like if Black, if Black Francis uh, from the Pixies or Kim Deal, if like that's your inspiration, like you got me. <laughs> oh, I love that. So um, did we have we talked about this? Who, who do you think he's gonna play? I I'm still I'm still down for. Well, I remember I thought Harvey Dent, but then when his wife Maggie Gyllenhaal shared that photo, that looked like Hugo Strange. Yeah. So yeah, I think it might be that. Who knows? I think so too. Who knows? I just love how they're being so coy about who everyone's playing. Yeah, except for Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell and Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. And I mean, basically, we've got Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Andy Serkis, Jeffrey Wright, and Colin Farrell. There are only ones that have been cast, and we know who they're playing. Yeah. Well, or did we did we find out that someone was cast as the Riddler? I'm starting to lose track now. Yeah. Uh. Well, there was Paul Dano. Oh, he was Riddler. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he was like a cast as Riddler, but that was like who the you know the the talk was. Like, yeah, I'm losing track too. Sorry, guys. There's too much news. <laughs> too much news. Jacqueline Duran, uh, of course, got an Oscar nomination. She is going to be doing you know the costume designs for this film. Uh, a little nice little tidbit here. She was on set for the Batman, and she didn't realize that she had gotten nominated for Little Women for for Little Women until someone like was walking past her and congratulated. Her. <laughs> <laughs> Great story because she has already won an Oscar before. Yeah. Back in 2012, she won an Oscar for the costume design for Anna Karenina. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was a fun little story. And then there was like one last little thing in the article uh, that I kind of found amusing about her. Talked about her Duran. She's very busy, but she's got this other task now. She has to figure out what she's going to wear to the Oscars. And uh, when she was asked about it, she says, I need to think about it for a second. Um, she goes, that's a new stress. Maybe I could just go out and buy something, but I don't normally do that. And apparently she made her own denim she made her own denim dress uh that she wore to the podium when she got her ox oscar in 2013 and so so i i think it's kind of interesting if you think about it like a costume designer are they going to go out and buy a dress or are they going to be inclined to make their own and apparently she would prefer to make her own why not i mean i think that's that's kind of cool like if that's what your trade is and that's what you do like why not and then from collider we've got a quick quote from john cena about working on james gunn's the suicide squad he says i was blown away the first 10 pages are like a movie in itself it's really really special that's because the guy steering the ship is committed to narrative and committed to creating characters that we connect with yes nice Zack Snyder this past week has uh, put out a couple other pictures we got the nice picture of Darkseid which was conveniently released on Tuesday evening (laughs) yes it was I think there's a story there (laughs) what what story do you think that is for our listeners I I think I think uh, okay spoilers for Crisis on (laughs) Infinite Earths 
Well, wait, wait let's okay. L- l- we'll table that because I okay. want to make I want to make sure it's abundantly clear when we get to that. Okay. Because we we have a lot of you know we have a lot of listeners outside of the United States that have not seen Crisis on Infinite Earths yet. I, I'm sorry if you've been on the internet. I know, I know, <laughs> but I I still want to put the warning out there. <laughs> but yeah, he put it out there Tuesday night. Yeah. So and then he went to town responding to people's questions in the comments section. Uh, someone asked him about one of those flash lines about the running away, and I just pushed people and run away and uh, his reference was what the F so Joss Whedon scene confirmed <laughs> yes sounds like it's confirmed and then this one I found interesting somebody had asked Zack Snyder can you please change Steppenwolf's design to B- to BVS design please and Zack Snyder responded just with a fist pump which I found kind of interesting because we you know we were kind of speculating like we weren't really sure if that was one of those things that like you know he had decided yeah I'm fine we'll change it you know change the design make it a little more humanoid or if it was like he was pushed into it and 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 it was just a battle he wasn't going to fight. Sounds like he's open to the idea of doing that if he were to get if he gets a chance to go that far with the visual effects updates. Yeah, I just because I wasn't sure about that considering that with the slew of Snyder cut photos he's been sharing, yeah. he's been okay with sharing you know scenes with that desi- with yeah. that design. So I don't know. Uh, he did answer about whether Ray Porter just did ADR or mocap, and the fact that I think we already knew this, but Ray Ray Porter did do the mocap as well for. Dark Side. This I thought was interesting. Someone asked him if the history lesson is as long as the Krypton scene in Man of Steel, and Zack Snyder said it's a good chunk. Okay. Okay. It's hard to it's hard to really say what he means by that. Yeah, but but it's just amazing to think we just think about what we got of the history lesson, right? And like, no, there's a lot more history lesson. Then somebody asked uh, if if Helpolita and, and Tyapete were there, and he says yes, yes, which we knew. Yeah. That. Now, and then someone asked, do they travel with ships through the boom tube? And oh, that was. Carlos, Carlos Digital. Yeah. And Zach responded, we do it the old way, ready my armada. He did in quotation marks, so obviously that's a line from the movie. Yeah. Uh, so I want to give credit to somebody that threw this all together. I don't, someone threw all these screen captures together, because it's, Vero's so hard to like sort through and <laughs> figure oh, out. Oh, and Zach Snyder even started going, oh no, I was responding to your first question. Yes. Like, he's, <laughs> he, he's, he's learned how people take the answers out of context, yeah. especially when they ask multiple questions before he's answered one. Yeah. And he started to clarifying in his answers. Yeah, I think he's kind of learned his lesson on that one. Someone asked uh, Ray Porter if he still needed to record some dialogue, and Ray Porter said that as far as he was known, he's he's done all his recording. Yeah. So Ray Porter, his job is done. His job is done. Zack Snyder posted the screen test that he did with um, the early costume screen test with Batman and Flash and Aquaman. And then Clay Enos posted a photo of Zack Snyder taking that photo. Yep. <laughs> It's proof it was his photo. <laughs> okay, Scott, one last thing before we kind of move on to the TV news. Got to talk about Ex Machina is being adapted to film. Have you read Ex Machina at all? I have not. Okay, this is a this is a Wildstorm series that was put out by Brian K. Vaughn, and it was back in... 2004 to 2010. Is it that long ago? Okay. It was that long ago. It was 50 issues. Yeah, okay. this is... Uh, and I haven't read it since then, so I don't remember all the specific details, but this was just such a great series. It was a great read at the time so uh it's another property by brian k vaughn that is is you know being worked to some kind of like adaptation either on the big screen or the small screen because brian k vaughn also wrote he did why the last man which is being done by fx right now and he did paper girls which amazon studios is developing yeah yeah so so this is pretty cool now we just need to get saga (laughs) 
that's going to take a lot more money, I think. But this is kind of cool. So this is like another, uh, you know, DC origin type film that looks like it might be waking its way up. All right. All right. You ready for some TV news? And Stu, yes, we're called DC Film Squadcast, but we we embrace the multiverse. <laughs> so yes, we do say that we're excited about what we're doing on the big and small screens. So yep. take it. Take it. <laughs> Here's your small screen talk for the rest of the year. <laughs> no. Uh, Superman and Lois is being greenlit on the CW. Now it's good. I mean, it's got a straight to series straight order. It's a series, yeah. So it's 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 going right there. So it's going to be you know starring Tyler Hecklin, Elizabeth Tulock, of course, from Supergirl. Are you excited about a Superman series? Not this one, no. I'm not. That's my problem. <laughs> that's my problem. Um, just the. I mean, uh, Elizabeth Tulock has kind of made a better pressure uh, impression on me in Crisis than she did on Elseworlds. Tyler Hecklin, no. I mean, and now if you're talking about Brandon Routh. <laughs> Yes. from Earth 96, that would be a completely different story. Yes, I would do that. And that was the point. I, I think I even made that point way back when I'm like, I, I, they should like, if they're going to do this, like offer Brandon Routh a chance to get off of like Legends and... Well, he's leaving Legends this season. I know, but like, you know, offer him this, like offer him a chance to play Superman. Like to me, that would have been, uh, that would have been a much better. I, and I know that I'm sure there's some Tyler Hecklin fans out, fans out there. It's just, I, I he's just never completely worked for me. You know what I will, but I, you know what I'm going to give the show a chance though because it lex uh <laughs> one yes john crier is lex amazing um but two what is it like when he gets his own series and he's not forced to be a supporting character in supergirl show yeah i, I i'm going to give him a fair shake yeah i'm just not this is going to be more like an obligation watch than an <laughs> actual Ooh, i want to watch this kind of deal uh they are not going to quote you on the promos for this show they are not they really are not <laughs> Not. This is more like an obligation watch. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so that's coming up. Now, I think we've kind of beat around the bush enough in this one. We need to talk about the earth-shattering event that happened in the Crisis on Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover event on the CW. This is your final warning. Frickin' Ezra Miller showed up in part four. <laughs> in the Speed Force. It had a force. scene with Grant Gustin. Now, on the DC TV Squadcast episode upcoming, where Ray, Brent, and I talk about the last two parts. We go into great detail about the details about how this happened, how was it kept secret. Like, we we talked all about that. Yeah. So I'm not sure, Tim, how much you would like me to rehash about what I know about the cameo. Nah, to go check out that show. But just your reaction, like when you saw this. I, I'd like you to take on a touch on it. Well, I wish I had gotten a chance to see it when the <laughs> show aired. But no, people on social media are jerks. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't care if Brent and, Brent and Ray want to say it was my fault. I, I don't care. I was on Vero. <laughs> no one talks about the CW on Vero. <laughs> <laughs> But then it was nice when I actually watched the episode and it happened and I was just like, wow, this is really happening. <laughs> I think the my favorite part of the whole deal is when Ezra Miller's Flash looks over at Grant Gustin and goes, wait a minute, is this cosplay? Do you want a selfie, bro? <laughs> just like, because he was like speaking for every DCEU fan out there that does not like the CW, <laughs> which I thought was I thought was funny. But at the same time, it's like, my God, you know, how could you how could you not realize that like Ezra Miller and his character and just the entire nature of the flash like is embra- 
is fully embracing this multiverse. Well, and the thing is, is that, you know, this happened apparently because Jim Lee wanted it to happen, yeah. which tells you something. And Mark Guggenheim has said in multiple interviews, he has said, I think the quote is, Jim Lee is the man with the vision. You need to talk to him. Yeah. Like when people are asking Guggenheim about how they made this cameo happen, what does this mean? And Guggenheim is like, talk to Jim Lee. He has a plan. Yeah. I mean, the thing, like, you got to realize with this, Ezra Miller has always been completely open to this idea. Like he's hinted at this thing, even like two, three years ago, you know, that he would be open to it. Like I, I distinctly remember reporting on that, that he had said he would be open to it. So, uh, what did you think of the contrast between how the flashes look? I didn't worry about that because I thought the scene played off very well. I, I will admit one of my favorite parts was them kind of touching each other and like, (laughs) like geeking out over each other's costumes. Yeah. Like, like Ezra, Ezra's Barry going, Ooh, that's so smooth. That looks comfortable. And, and, and Grant's going, this looks so safe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say this, though, like looking at the costumes, like I actually, I still prefer Ezra's costume just because I think it's a lot more interesting looking and it, it kind of hides a lot more than Grant's does. But I will say this, the the ears on Grant Gustin's costume just look better. They do look better. They, so, they look flashy. They look flashy, so. yeah. So that that's something that, you know, I think has always been a little bit of a deficit, um, you know, from this version, this early version of Flash's costume. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, with, um, you know, the Flash solo film, like how, you know, because they're they're going to evolve the costume, I would imagine. And so it'll be interesting to see, like, if they bring in some of those elements, because it, yeah, it, it looks a lot more flashy on, Grus- on Gustin's costume. Well, and I think it's going to be a situation just like Zach was introducing these concepts. And then when you got to, when, you know, James Wan got to do Aquaman solo, yeah. he got to give him the classic costume. I mean, he, he's always, he's, he's been about, you know, so I am sure that if Mich- I really feel like even Brent has kind of acquiesced to this movie's happening in 2022. <laughs> yeah, that that he's probably going to get an updated costume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so because they've always said that the costume in Justice League was supposed to be a prototype. Mm-hmm. Oh, I will say this though, I I think some of the diehard DCE fans that that just have always like expressed a huge dislike for CW. It, it was a little bit amusing to me to see their like heads explode about all this because in the end my response is just basically like guys you've taken this way too seriously this is this is all this is is a little bit of a bit that you know it, it it's it's a nod to the multiverse that's what this is and you should just accept that the cw and you know th- these series of shows on the cw gave props and credit to this dcu character that we love so yeah exactly yeah so i mean it's like don't get so bent out of shape over it man it's 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 it was a cool moment like i wish i could have seen it live like in not have it spoiled for me. I, I think that would have just, you know, kind of rocked my world at the time. But it, it was still great seeing it. Like, I, I did enjoy seeing the crossover. Uh, this Guggenheim quote from Entertainment Weekly, I really feel like says it all. He said, basically, I was working hand in hand with Jim from the moment we found out that this was a possibility to once we knew Grant Gustin was cool, uh, was cool and on board with it, and Ezra was on board with it. I would send drafts of the scene to both Jim Lee and DC Entertainment's film VP Adam Schlegman, and we would just go back and forth. The trick with the scene is that I didn't want to and they didn't want me to do anything that would step on the toes of the Flashpoint movie that they're developing so we really worked hand in hand Jim was really great about just making sure that all the parties were talking to each other that nothing was getting stalled he was a cheerleader when he needed to be a diplomat when he needed to be he really stepped up in every way one could do it his enthusiasm really helped make this possible and I don't know if this could make me love Jim Lee anymore (laughs) no he's always been incredible ambassador you know for all these properties so that's great 
All right. So that was fun. Uh, we got three little more little TV bits that we want to touch on. Uh, the first one, Aquaman is coming to HBO Max. <laughs> In animated form. In animated form. We're not talking about the film. We're talking about literally a three-part animated series that is going to be called Aquaman King of Atlantis. Uh, with James Wan as an executive producer. <laughs> so that's that's pretty cool. Uh, this is To me, this is just a start of the transition of the DC properties over to HBO Max. I mean, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Especially since this is supposed to be picking up basically where the Aquaman movie left off, where we're seeing Aquaman uh, on his first day on the job as King of Atlantis. Yeah. So my guess is that this is going to be continuity. The actors are going to provide the voice roles. I mean, there you go. Yeah. Uh, We got some details on the Green Lantern show that's going to be on HBO Max. Um, The head of original content, Sarah Aubrey, uh, revealed at the TCA press corps uh, some of these details about uh, Greg Berlanti's upcoming Green Lantern series. Uh, She said that it's going to span several decades and focus on two stories about Green Lanterns on Earth, as well as in space going into the Sinestro story. Ooh, well, you know, there we go. And then, um, well, one fun news that Gene Smart and Regina King both won award, Critics' Choice Awards for Watchmen. Gene Smart taking home the Best Supporting Actress in a Drama and Regina King winning Best Actress in a Drama. Well, well deserved. Uh, Watchmen was also nominated for Best Drama Series. And, okay, I found the irony of this one hilarious. But um, Tim Blake Nelson was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series, but he lost out to Billy Crudup from The Morning Show. Damn you, Dr. Manhattan, <laughs> once again. <laughs> oh, man, that is kind of funny. <laughs> but that's sad. <laughs> um, now, here's basically what we've heard, because people report it one way, and then other people reporting it other ways. From what we understand is that Damon Lindelof has walked away from Watchmen saying, that was a story I wanted to tell. As far as I'm concerned, it's done. And so it was reported by USA Today that HBO was not interested in pursuing a second season with Damon Lindelof walking away, and so Watchmen was going to be a one and done. Which, if it wasn't one and done, I would be completely okay with that. But then the HBO's head of programming has been making some comments uh, that suggest that there's still a possibility of a season two at HBO because Casey Bloyles actually shared a story from Decider.com that suggested that. So he's he basically saw all the news saying that HBO was not pursuing a second season, and then he quote tweeted a story saying no it's still a possibility so i i don't know i don't know it, it seems to me like you know they they know they have something that had pretty well received and uh you know certainly had a lot of interest and uh, apparently they're really satisfied with the numbers so like i i kind of feel like casey bloys is going to find a way to make this thing happen they just need to figure out if they can get another showrunner come in and take it over i don't but i don't know if they, i want them to do that i really feel like i just want them to leave it alone well i mean you're concerned about the story they're concerned about like hey we need to provide content so <laughs> I don't right. think they really care about that part of it. No, no, they don't care about it, but then that's also what gives us crappy content. Yeah. So. Yeah, we'll see. Well, hopefully they do the right thing and, and only move forward if they feel like they've got a really good story that kind of adds to the to the mythos. So Exactly. All right. Well, that is that. That is it for this week's podcast. We want to thank you guys so much for listening. It's been a lot of fun. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at DC Film Squadcast on Twitter. I can also be reached at ScottDC27. All right. And then you can find me on Twitter at Alan on fire and of course you can email the show at dcfilmsquadcast at gmail.com
gmail.com, our new email address. Oh, we have it? You changed it? <laughs> well, I, I, I revealed the new one, finally. Okay. <laughs> uh, then, of course, we also on Vero, Facebook, and, of course, our website at squadcastmedia.com. Yes, we've changed the website, too. Yes. We, the transition <laughs> is complete. Almost complete. <laughs> Almost complete. Ah, dang it. Yeah. No, we got some stuff still to do. But And, of course, if you'd like to help support the network, uh, we are a fan-supported network of shows. Uh, we appreciate all the support you guys give us. If you'd like to join that group, you can go to patreon.com slash squadcastmedia. Spider-Man 2 is coming up. All right. Well, guys, that's it for this week. And to all of you out there, we want to remind you to go out and keep reading DC. All right. See you guys. And check out X Machina. it's obvious that I am uh, quite upset about the fact that I had the Ezra Miller cameo spoiled for me for Crisis on Infinite Earths <laughs> because I did not have the capacity to watch it live. That just was not a possibility for me. And so I I, I expect uh, just a little bit of sympathy and understanding from even my Squadcast brothers. But when I went and recorded that DC TV Squadcast episode, none whatsoever. Ray and Brent actually had the gall to tell me it was my own fault. Uh, I mean, it kind of is your own fault. Well, now I'm going to blow your ass up too, so uh, I'm taking you all out. All of you. I guess it, uh, Jordan, Chris, and I are going to run the network at this point, apparently. So, Oh, I just got a text message from those guys as well. They said it's your fault as well. This is this is for all of you. You're, you're so long. Bye. Yes. Okay. Now, of course, the point was always clarified that his face well, was we, going to are be... Are we talking about this? Do you want to talk about this? Well, okay. I, I, are you talking to me or are you talking to the listeners right now? I'm talking to you. Okay. I, it sounded like you were in your like radio voice again. No, 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 okay. no, no. I'm, I'm just like, I, I, saw when, I, I saw when this went down. Okay.